Well, in the section we're going to be looking at this morning, Paul begins by telling the believers to let their love be without hypocrisy. And hypocrisy has the idea of hiding behind a mask. And so what I titled this message was Unmasked Love. We're living in a time that we are having to put masks on. And whenever you put a mask on, you know, you can't see that smile, that joy, that love that's coming through. And the same is true for us in our Christian lives. Many times we tell people we love them. We say that we are Christians and that we're here to help people. But yet then we don't act in a way that shows the love of Jesus Christ to other people. So in this section, Paul is giving us a list of things that we can do to unmask the love, to show the love of Jesus Christ to those people that we come in contact with. And he does it for three different groups of people. First, he says, unmask love for believers. And in the first few verses, we're going to look about, look at what are we How are we to act towards one another in the body of Christ? Then he says, unmask love for all people. The applications that we make in this can deal with all people, not just believers, but with people in the world. And then finally, we talk about unmasking our love for our enemies. And we're going to see how to do that. And not all of these things are easy or natural. Um, So God has given us the power of the Holy Spirit that we are new creations in Christ. And so he gives us what we need in order to live like he wants us to live. But before we get to verse 9, I want to go back to Romans 12, 1 and 2 because this is the focus and this is the changing point in the book of Romans. He's already told us that, told the believers in Rome, or if we've been looking at the book of Romans, that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, that there's no one righteous, no, not one. And so God sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die for us. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And that by faith alone in Christ alone, by putting our faith in Jesus Christ, we get eternal life. And then he told us how to have victory in the Christian life, that we've died and rose again with Christ to a new life. And so we can have the power over sin. And then he's told us that you don't have to worry about your eternal security because there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus and that nothing can separate us from the love of God. And so you are eternally secure in Christ and you can have the assurance of your salvation. And then in chapter 12, he says, Therefore, I urge you, brethren to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. So we as believers in Christ are to offer our bodies as a living sacrifice, not in order to be saved or in order to stay saved, but because of all that God has done for us and how he has provided for us a way of salvation, then we ought to want to give back to him and offer our bodies as a living sacrifice. How do we do that? We are not to be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of our minds. So if we want to live like Christ, then we've got to know what Christ is like. It's hard to live a Christ-like life if we don't know what Christ is like. So we have to get into God's word and we have to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. So if we want to live a Christ-like life, what does that look like? Paul's going to give us a list of things in verses 9 through 21, some actions and some reactions that we should live by as being Christians who are wanting to unmask the love of Jesus Christ to those whom we are around. So look with me, beginning at verse 9, as we begin thinking about unmasking love for believers. 
He says in verse 9, Let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil and cling to what is good. I've had several people tell me over my nine years of ministry that they don't go to church because the church is full of hypocrites. People that say one thing and do another. They say they love you, but they don't ever show it in their actions. And let me tell you, that's not a good reason to, to not come to church. But also, we as Christians are to be showing the love of Jesus Christ. It's God so loved the world that he told everybody that he loved him. No, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. You see, love is an action. And so we need to be showing the love of Jesus Christ. And that's the overarching theme that we see in this section. Because just like with the Ten Commandments, just like with the one another's, there is an overarching theme that allows everything else to fall into place. You see, when Jesus was asked, what is the greatest commandment? He said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. Love your neighbor as yourself. If you're loving God and you're loving others, then what's going to happen? All of the other commandments are going to fall into place. You're not going to have to worry about, am I doing every single one of these? If you're loving God and loving others, then the other ones will take care of themselves. Whenever we moved into the building, we said that we wanted to build unity in the body. And so we decided our first grow group study would be on the one another's. And we said there is an overarching one another, and that is to love one another. And we said if you're loving one another, then all of the other one another's fall into place. And that's what Paul is saying in this section. He said, unmask the love, and if you unmask the love, these are the things that'll be coming out in your life. He goes on to explain later in this verse. He says, a poor what is evil, and a, the word a poor has the idea of hate. We are to hate what is evil. That does not mean we hate the people that do the evil. We hate the evil itself. And this is talking about us as believers. And look at this next statement. If we truly hate what is evil, we won't be doing the things that are evil. If we're not doing the things that are evil, if we're not sinning against each other, then we're going to have unity and growth in the body. And so that's what we need to be doing. We need to be hating the sin that is going on in the world. And the word hate is a really strong word. You know, many times us as parents, we say that to our children. We don't use the word hate. But Paul is saying we are to hate what is evil. So that means we're not to put up with sugarcoat or tolerate the things that are evil, the things that are sin. But the world that we're currently living in tells us that we are to tolerate many of these sins. That what's right for you is right for you. What's right for me is right for me. That the words found in, in the Bible are not for me, not for now. They, for, they were written for another time, for, for a different group of people. No, God's word is truth. It's eternal and we need to go to it. It's written in black and white. There are things that are right and there are things that are wrong. So as Christians, we do not need to be hiding behind the mask, letting the world run over us. We are to act. We are to stand up against. We are to hate what is evil. And whenever we hate what is evil, again, we don't hate the people. We hate the evil itself. And so we need to be going to these people and hating the evil, but we need to be acting in love, because that's what this overarching theme is, is we are to be showing love, the Christ-like love in everything that we do. 
Well, he says, abhor what is evil and cling to what is good. The word cling has the idea to glue, to attach, to unite to what is good. And there is only one who is good, and that is God. So we are to be united with him in fellowship. We are to be clinging to him in fellowship as the most important relationship in all of our lives. We are to be clinging to him. And if we are clinging to him, then we are going to be Love is going to be outpouring in our lives. We're going to show Christ-like love to those whom we come in contact with. Well, as we go on through this, Paul gives both positive and negatives. Just like we're to abhor what is evil, we're to cling to what is good. There's a negative aspect and a positive aspect. He goes on and he continues with that theme as we go throughout these verses. But look on with me to verse 10. He says, be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Give preference to one another in honor. Are we devoted to one another in the body of Christ? Are we devoted to those who are in our grow group? Are we devoted to those whom we share ministry with on our ministry teams? We are to be devoted to one another. You know, there are some people who are not able to be with us right now because of COVID and everything that's going on because they have underlying health conditions or age. Are we reaching out to those people, those of you who are here? Are we reaching out to those people that are not able to be here? And those people who are, who are out there and not able to be in the building, are you devoted to one another? Are you, are you at home because of, of true underlying reasons? Or are you at home because it's become comfortable? It's been easy just to stay at home, so I'm going to stay at home. You know, many of those people who are out there are devoted to this ministry because how can a church that had nobody in the building for, for eight weeks and then about half of its congregation here on a weekly basis now for the last eight weeks plus um, be able to make budgets? So there are people who are out there who are still devoted to this ministry, who are still giving to it. And for, for that, I say thank you. And I, th I thank God for this body because we are devoted to one another. We are growing together with one another. And that's what our grow groups are all about. So if you're not in one, get in one. And, and grow group leaders, you know, reach out to those people who aren't able to be here even as we start back in our groups. So we're to be devoted to one another in the local body as we are with our personal families because he calls it their brotherly love. You see, at the moment we believe in Jesus Christ, we're placed in the body of Christ and we become a child of God by faith in Jesus Christ. And so we're all brothers and sisters and so we need to be showing our brotherly love to one another and we have a perfect heavenly father that oversees our relationships. In the next phrase in verse 10, he says, give preference to one another in honor. I like how the ESV translates this a little better. It says, outdo one another in showing honor. With all that's gone on in, the, in this country, in this world over the last few months, I see people trying to outdo one another in hatred. Whenever somebody gives an opinion or a thought about something that everybody is attacking them, and that's not what we are to be doing. We're to be out doing one another and showing honor. We are to, to stand for the truth, but some people just have opinions and thoughts and we don't need to attack them for their opinions or their thoughts. We need to go to them in love. According to Paul, we should be in a competition to see who can do the best job of putting others ahead of themselves. 
honoring them rather than having us honored ourselves, looking for what we can provide to a relationship rather than what we can get out of a relationship. So let's be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Let's outdo one another in showing honor to those who are in the body. He goes on in verse 11 and says, not lagging behind in diligence, fervent in the spirit, serving in the Lord. You know, not lagging behind in diligence, that's telling us don't be lazy. You know, Hunter taught on this last week. He said, you know what lazy people do? They get fat. And that same is true for us as Christians. If we are lazy Christians, then we get fat. And what I mean by that is what, going back to verse 2, if you're not consciously being transformed by the Word of God, you'll unconsciously Just sitting there, you'll be conformed to this world. So there is no cruise control Christian. Either you're moving and growing and growing closer to Christ or you're falling away and going farther and farther from Him. And so we don't want to be lazy Christians. We want to be fervent in the Spirit, serving the Lord. That means we need to be on fire and using the gifts, talents, and abilities that God has given us to serve this body. You know, there's people who will go out in the community and they'll say, man, I love my church. It's got a great children's ministry. It's got a great music ministry. It's got a great youth ministry. I mean, we've got a Sam's group that meets. And I mean, it's just great ministries all around. Man, we teach the Bible. It is exciting what's going on at, on at my church. And somebody say, hey, So you're a member of that church? Yeah. So how do you serve that church? Well, I walk in the door, I take my seat, and I walk back out every week. Is that what we are to be doing? No, we're to be serving, using the gifts, talents, and abilities that God has given us. So the question is, are we serving? If not, why not? Remember, love is an action. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. We are to Put love into action because love is not an emotion. It's not a feeling. It's not a saying that I love you. It is an action and we need to be acting. We need to be fervent in the spirit, serving the Lord. Verse 12, going on, he says, rejoicing in hope, persevering in tribulation, devoted to prayer. Whenever we go through life, it's not always easy. Even for us as Christians, we're going through some pretty tough times right now. But we should be rejoicing in hope because we know that there's something better that's on the way. We know that this world's not our home. We know that Jesus Christ has gone before us to prepare a place for us. And whenever he gets it ready, he'll receive us to himself so that where he is, we will be also. We've got hope. We can be excited even in the trials and the tribulation and the persecution that's going on in the world right now. But there's many people who don't have that hope. Since we have this hope and they don't have that hope, then what should we be doing? We need to be sharing that hope with other people out in the world. We need to be giving that message of hope, the message that Jesus Christ came willingly for you and died on the cross and paid for your sin. And he arose from the grave conquering death. And that if you will simply believe in him, he offers you as a gift everlasting life. If you don't know that message, if you don't have the hope that we have as Christians, then right where you're sitting, you can believe in Jesus Christ and he gives you as a gift everlasting life. It is that simple. That will give you the hope 
the hope to persevere in tribulation. That's what it goes on to say, persevering in tribulation. We can persevere in tribulation because of the hope we have, but persevering doesn't mean that we just sit back and allow the tribulation to pass. It's an action word. We are to be pushing forward in the tribulation, not letting the world change us, not letting the world say that this book is not truth. We are to be standing for the truth. We are to be changing the world. And one way we can do that is being devoted to prayer. You know, are we devoted to prayer? Is this something that we can't make it through our day without doing? You know, there's many people who can't make it through their day without talking to their mother. There's other people who can't make it through their day without talking to their child. There's other people who can't make it without talking to their best friend throughout the day, not just once a day, but throughout the day. And by talking to God, he should be our priority. We should make that a priority. We need to be devoted to prayer. We shouldn't just be prayerful people. We are to be devoted to prayer. We are to pray without ceasing, as 1 Thessalonians tells us. So we are to continue this act of prayer because it doesn't only change us. It doesn't just change situations. It doesn't just change the people around us. It can even change the leaders. You know, there was a guy, his name was Daniel. And uh, he prayed on his knees three times a day. And, and so they made, the king made this decree. And um, Daniel didn't listen to his decree. He continued to pray towards Israel, praying to the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. And he prayed to him fervently three times a day. And even though the lions were roaring, he continued to pray. And he was thrown into that lion's den and he came out. And I like what Chuck Swindoll says that the king decreed that everyone should worship Daniel's God who rescues and saves his people. That's Daniel 6.27. But I got that whole story basically from Chuck Swindoll in in an article that I just read. But, um, you know, it's true that the king changed his decree. It was don't pray to anybody but him. But then the decree got changed. You only pray to Daniel's God because he can save. He saves his people. So we should be spending more time communicating with God than we do our parents, our children, our best friend, whoever it is that you talk to the most, because God not only changes our lives and the lives of those around us, but he can change the lives of those who lead our cities, our states, our country, and our nation. So let's be men and women of prayer. Going on in verse 13, he says, contributing to the needs of the saints and practicing hospitality. During times of tribulation, we, they, they require us to contribute to the needs of the saints. You know, we had people, whenever all of this outbreak started, we had people calling the church. Is there, is there anyone that, that is elderly that uh, may need groceries taken to them? Is there anything that I can do to serve the people in this body? There was one lady who called and she said, you know, I don't have a whole lot of money, but I've got some. And do you know somebody that may have lost their job that may, that may need some food or something for their family? Can I help them financially? So that's the kind of people that we are to be, we are to help in times of need. We're to contribute to the needs of the saints. And then practicing hospitality, that's been even a more difficult thing to do during this pandemic. You don't want to call people and, and invite a big group of people into your house, 
But um, this word hospitality actually means to invite strangers. And so you definitely um, haven't been wanting to do that. But truthfully, um, we can be looking at those who are around us, those who are our neighbors, those who we go to work with, um, who may not be believers, because this is a transitional point in, in this passage where we start bringing in um, all people. And so we want to bring people into our home, believers for the growth of fellowship and unbelievers so that we can break down some walls and share the gospel message with them. And let me say this, hospitality is about the people coming in. It's not about you. You know, so often people say, well, I just can't have people over because my house is a mess. Well, I can't have people over because, you know, then I have to go to the store and I have to buy groceries and cook them a big meal. Let me tell you, people love to just come into your house and be comfortable. You know, if you're, if you're putting on a mask when people come into your house, I'm, I'm, this is not how my family normally functions, but let me show you that we have the cleanest house in town and that we go and we serve the fanciest meals. You know, this is who we are. No, that's putting on a mask. Who are we every day? Let's invite people into our everyday lives and let's be living lives that are showing the love of Jesus Christ inside our homes and whenever we go out into the community. So we've seen a lot of stuff so far. He's got this list of things that, that we are to be, that we should be coming out in our lives if we are unmasking of our love toward one another, if we're unmasking our love for our believers in Christ. And that's a, that's a big list. And you may say, man, I do some of those good and some of them not so good, or maybe I do none of them. But the overarching theme, again, goes back to love. If you unmask that love, if you show the love of Jesus Christ to anyone who comes across your path, then these things will begin to come out in your life. And as we move on to the next sections, it even gets harder. But I love 1 John 4, 9 through 13. By this, the love of God was manifested in us that God sent his only begotten son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Because God and because made the ultimate sacrifice of his son, because Jesus ultimately made the sacrifice for us, then we also ought to love one another. But he doesn't just throw us out there and tell us to do it on our own. He goes on and at the end of verse 12 and into 13, if we love one another, then God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us of his spirit. The truth is, is that God the Father lives inside of us. Jesus Christ lives inside of us. He has given us the Holy Spirit to empower us to live the Christian life. So the things that we're going to see are not the natural responses or the natural actions. They are supernatural, but he has given us everything we need to live this life. So let's look on to verse 14 and see about unmasking love for all people. In verse 14, it says, bless those who persecute you, bless and do not curse. Looking back about 20 years, I think many of us living in America, living in the Bible Belt would say, we're not going to be persecuted for our faith. But the truth is, it's coming and it's coming more and more and the growth is exponential. And so if we don't do something about it, 
then it's going to get out of hand. So we need to, we need to think about this persecution and think of how we are to react. And look at how he tells us to react. He says, bless and do not curse. That word bless has the idea to wish God's best on someone, to pray for them. And that's not something that we want to do to somebody that's persecuting us, somebody that's going against us. But what did Jesus do whenever he was on the cross? Whenever he was hanging there on the cross and they were making fun of him and spitting at him, then some of those guys had beat him. What does he do? He says, Father, forgive them for they do not know what they're doing. He doesn't curse them. He doesn't call down his angels and wipe them off of the earth. He doesn't come off the cross. He just says, Father, forgive them for they do not know what they're doing. And you say, yeah, that's good. That's Jesus and all. And, you know, we're just mere flesh and we, we can't do that. But there is another man at the stoning of Stephen in, in Acts. You see that sto- Stephen is being stoned to death. And what does he say? Lord, do not hold this against them. So we as human beings can live out a Christ-like love. We can bless and not curse when others persecute us. Look on to verse 15. He says, rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. I like the Swedish proverb that I found that goes along with this verse. Shared joy is double joy and shared sorrow is half sorrow. You know, whenever you're rejoicing, whenever you have others around you, it helps both them and you because your joy becomes more abundant. But whenever you're all by yourself, sometimes it's a lonely place, even if you got joy in your life. I'll give you an example. On July 1st, in the evening, I went out and uh, decided to play golf. I know that's, you know, something that doesn't happen very often, but um, I went out to play golf. And I I was just by myself, had some flip-flops on, an old ball that I found in our backyard, and uh, I teed it up on number nine, and I hit this shot, and I was like, man, that is perfect. And it hits the green, it rolls in the hole. And man, I was excited until all of a sudden I looked around. I'm on number nine tee box, there's nobody playing with me. Nobody saw it, but I'm on number nine, so the clubhouse is right there. Surely there's somebody standing outside the clubhouse, not a soul. Number 10 tee box right there beside number nine green. Not a soul there. Putting, practice putting greens right there. Surely there's some people out there practicing putting. Not a soul. There's houses right there by number nine green. Nobody's home. You know, the joy that I had for just a moment instantly faded away because there was nobody there with me to, to share in the joy. And I've been told that if you hit a hole-in-one and nobody's with you, it never happened, so I never hit a hole-in-one. That was just a story, I guess. But anyway, um, so shared joy is double joy, but, sh- but shared sorrow is half sorrow. You know, a lot of times we are friends with people. Yeah, you're my best friend, man. We got everything going on in our lives. But hey, all of a sudden, I got a problem. Well, you go ahead and you fix your problem and then call me whenever you're done and we'll be friends again. No, that's not what we are to be doing. We as believers in Christ are to be in the lives of people that are hurt, hurting and in trouble and that need help. That's where Jesus spent his life was with the people that were in need, in need of salvation. And so we need to be looking for those relationships. We need to weep with those who weep and we can break down barriers and walls with people who 
are going totally the opposite way whenever we show them love, the love of Jesus Christ. And it can open an opportunity to bring believers back into fellowship, to bring unbelievers to faith in Christ. In verse 16, he goes on and says, be of the same mind toward one another. Do not be haughty in mind, but associate with the lowly. Do not be wise in your own estimation. We want to treat others like we want to be treated. Humility is the key in Christ-like love. Again, Christ didn't hang out with the crowd. He hung out with the lowly, those in need. He wasn't expecting something in return. He was there to give to them. And that's the way we're to be doing. We're to be giving to those who are in need. Going on to verse 17, it gets even more difficult as we talk about unmasking our love for our enemies. He says in verse 17, never pay back evil for evil to anyone. Respect what is right in the sight of all men. Never, that means no exceptions. We can't control others' actions or reactions, but we, can't, we are called to control our own. We can't control how other people act around us, how they react to us but we are called to control our own. That means we are to do as this verse says, respect what is right in the sight of all men. That means we must think before we react. And we're to do what is right in the sight of all men so that God gets the glory in everything that is done. Going back to thinking about Jesus being on the cross. You know, the crowd was around him and they were, they were talking and making fun of him. They were, you know, dividing up um, his garments and all of these things. And there were two thieves hanging on the cross um, on each side of him. And, and they were making fun of him and saying, you know, call down your angels. And, you know, if you're such a great God, you could heal other people. Why can't you even save yourself? But what does he say? Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. And one of those thieves kind of changed his direction. He looked over to the other thief and he said, Hey, we're hanging here for a purpose, for a reason, because of the things that we did wrong. But this man has done nothing wrong. And he turns to Jesus and he says, Remember me when you are going into your kingdom. And Jesus says, Today you'll be with me in paradise. You see, you never know who's watching your actions and your reactions. I have a six-year-old daughter and she watches my actions and my reactions. And I wish I had every reaction to be a Christ-like action because she always wants to imitate the wrong ones rather than the right ones. But we have a heavenly father who is perfectly righteous and we are to be imitating him we are to be imitating the life of Christ because you never know whose life can be changed just because there's other people who are watching just as that thief was watching. Jesus did all of these miracles and that didn't change the thief's life. What changed his life was God's re Jesus' reaction and he blessed rather than cursing. So we need to do the same. When we don't pay back evil for evil, but rather do what is right in the sight of all men, we may change lives for Jesus Christ. We may change an eternal destiny for someone who is watching.
In verse 18, he says, he goes on and says, if possible, so far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. Peace is not always possible. Some people love conflict. They thrive on making it happen. But if possible, so far as it depends on you, be at peace with all people. Never take your own revenge, beloved, but leave room for the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. By trying to get someone back for what they have done to us, many times it causes a whole list of things. But I thought of a few. Number one is the punishment doesn't fit the sin. You know, if, I, if somebody does something to me, I'm going to try to get them back, but I'm not going to try to get them back evenly. I'm going to try to get them back even more. But you know what? God will deal with them, and God will give them the punishment that is equal to the life change that he desires for their life. He doesn't always want to punish them to, to basically take them off of this earth or to um, make them suffer and, and everything. He wants life change. He wants eternal life change. He wants fellowship life change out of believers. And so he gives the punishment that fits the sin. If we pay somebody back evil for evil, then what happens? It opens us up for God's punishment. You see, they did something wrong to us. We're standing here in a neutral position. And whether we're going to react positively or negatively changes our position. So if we turn back evil, then what happens? We're put in the same place that they were. And that opens us up for God's punishment to come on us. And finally, it makes both God and us look bad. We state that we're Christians, that we stand for Jesus Christ, that we stand for love, that we stand for an eternal life message, but yet we act in these ways. It makes us look bad, and it makes our Heavenly Father look bad as well. So let's get out of the way, leave vengeance for God, and fulfill our responsibility as being His obedient children. Like it says in verse 20, but if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him a drink, for in doing so you will heap burning coals on his head. In doing the right thing, the person may regret what it is that they have done to you. They may come, they may want to apologize, they may want to know why you don't retaliate, and there's opportunities again to share the love of Jesus Christ with those people. At worst, if you continue not to retaliate, those people usually get bored. I don't want to go to that guy because he doesn't ever do anything back and that's just not fun, fun for me. And so either way, let's do what is right rather than doing what is wrong. Going on to verse 21, he makes a summary statement. He says, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. You see, evil can never overcome evil. Because if you flick me on the ear, I'm going to hit you in the arm. If you hit me in the arm, I'm going, to, I'm going to hit you in the face. If you hit me in the face, I'm going to take you to the ground. You see, the evil just keeps getting more and more evil. You can't overcome evil with evil. You can only overcome evil with good. So let's do what is good. Let's do what is right. Let's be, do as far as it depends on us. Let's be at peace with all men. Let's don't pay back evil for evil. Let's leave vengeance to the Lord. So what have we seen this morning? We have seen that we 
are not to have a hypocritical love, but rather we are to have a genuine love, an unmasked love for all people, including believers, unbelievers, and even our enemies. Love that is shown in acting and reacting in a Christ-like manner. So let's think about some applications. Number one is let us identify any relationships that we may need to unmask the love. Are you telling people that you're a Christian? Are you telling your friends that you love them, but then you're not showing it in your actions? Think about those relationships and let's think about that list that Paul gave us and let's unmask that love and let's show it to those we come in contact with. And then let us be known and remembered by our love. Our love for our believers. If we have love for one another, then the world knows we are his disciples. So we've got to have unity. We've got to have love in the body. If we have disunity in the body, then who wants to come and join us? Nobody. So we've got to be unified and loving one another in the body. Second of all, we need to have a love for unbelievers. We need to have a love for unbelievers because they don't even know what they're missing out on unless you share the good news message with them. Let's love them to life. And then C, let's have love even for our enemies. This is the hardest thing to do, to to feed, to do the good things for those who are doing against us. But it is possible in the power of the Holy Spirit. A quote I found from Dr. Constable's note says, What God seeks in the believer is not so much a single worthy act as a continuing quality of life. That's what God wants from us. He doesn't want us to look at this list of things and say, Well, I'll do one or two of these things. Check, check. I'm good. I'm a good Christian. Um, I'm loving one another. I'm showing my love to other people. No, he wants a continuing quality of life, a quality of life that is a Christ-like life. So let's be devoted to one another, devoted to prayer. And so far as it depends on us, let's be at peace with all people. We are not just to love when it's easy. We're not just to love our family. We're not just to love our church family, but we are to love all people. And sometimes that's going to get hard. And whenever it gets too hard, just remember this, that in while we were yet sinners, when we were in rebellion against God, Christ died for us. And if Christ so loved us that he died for us, then we also ought to love one another with that same love.